chillin' and uh, you will hear about the eliminating of the negative and the accent on a positive. And gather round me, chillin', if you're willing, and sit tight while I start reviewing. Test, the test. Is this thing on? Oh, yes, it is. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, The Joyful Frugalista, and now here's your host, Serena Bird and Friends. Hello, Frugalistas, and welcome. Today, I have a very special guest, and she's a friend who I think I first met in 2013. Is that right? Yes, it was. Marg Wade is author of Canberra Secrets, a book which is now in its third edition. It is a beautiful book with a beautiful cover of our mutual friend, Erna Glassford, in an autumnal scene around Lake Burley Griffith on the cover. She also operates a bespoke tour company called Canberra Secrets. And in 2019, she won the Micro Business of the Year Award at the Canberra Woman in Business. I first met Marg in Taipei, not in Canberra, but in Taipei, where we worked in the same office, I think around six months, was it? Uh, Three months. Three months. It felt longer and not in a bad way, in a good way, because I felt like we formed a good friendship in that short period of time. When we were in Taiwan, I was really amazed by her insatiable interest in exploring and discovering stories behind the people and places she visited. She just wanted to go everywhere and see everything and learn as much as she could. And she was also an early writing mentor for me. I remember we went for lunch together and I said, oh, I'm so envious because I'd love to be a published writer one day. And I said, I sort of write a few articles for a local magazine and I do a few things. And Marg very kindly said, you are already a published author and you should be very, very proud of that. And she encouraged me to join the ACT Writers' Centre, which then led to me being selected for hard copy in 2015. She also helped brainstorm ideas for the structure of my first book, which later became The Joyful Frugalista. So as you can hear, she is indeed a very lovely friend who I'm so pleased to have here. Welcome, Mark. Well, thank you. What a wonderful (laughs) introduction. Thank you. Mark, why did you feel called to write? I've always loved to write. I just knew that I loved to write. And whenever I'm just sitting writing, I think how delicious it is. At the moment, I'm writing something for someone's website and I was just feeling how wonderful it is just to be able to just sit and write. I think it started for me when I was in primary school. I had a really great teacher in year six. We would write stories and he would go take the stories home on the weekend and mark them, would you believe? (laughs) And then he would underline really nice descriptive phrases that he called gems And if you got the underlining of a gem, you had to read them to the class. And it was, I always wanted to have lots of gems. Mr. Lahure was my inspiration in grade six. Such a wonderful man. And he showed me that I love to write. What a powerful story about how teachers can be really so encouraging, can't they? Mm, Absolutely. I've just always felt that I could write. And then when I came to Canberra and really fell in love with the place, I would show visiting friends and relatives from overseas this beautiful city. And then some friends of mine said, you should write a book. And I straight away went into, oh, no, I couldn't do that. Mm. But it planted a seed. Then 
eventually I left teaching, I was a primary school teacher, to write my first edition of Canberra Secrets. That was published in 1999. Huge amount of work that went into it, lots of researching, lots of talking to people, and it was really before computers. So all the research was really hard, walking, talking, researching. It was holding that book in my hand at the printer because I self-published. It was like holding a new baby. It was unbelievably beautiful. 2003, I did another one, vowed and declared I wouldn't do any more because both times I had resigned from my full-time job to do so. Anyway, 2018, I did another one. (laughs) (laughs) And it must be so scary because I know I met you, you had a corporate career and on paper it was a very successful corporate career. Actually, I shouldn't say on paper, but it was a very successful career. must be quite scary to have to take the courage to leave your job to pursue writing. It is scary and it certainly is a big step to do. I really took financial advice though and I was very careful with how I managed it. I'm okay. It has worked out financially. Writing doesn't bring in the big bucks so you've got to supplement it with other means of earning money. Yeah, it is a scary thing to do, but gee, it's nice to be your own boss. Mm. It is really sad. Like, you know, writing doesn't, it doesn't earn the big bucks. It does for some people. Some Mm. people are incredibly lucky to be able to do it. But it's a shame that just, I think fewer and fewer people are reading, or maybe we just have so much information. Oh, absolutely. There is so much information. And my books are a little bit different to others because it's not fiction or exciting thrillers or whatever, they're guidebooks to Canberra. But a lot of love has gone into really sourcing the backstories behind things. And then I went on to use the books as the basis of starting a tour company, taking people on tour. My tours are different because I've done all that research over 20 years and I talk to people and I get, you know, the backstory of the street art in the middle of Civic or the backstory to the beautifully created possum skin cloak that's in the foyer of the Legislative Assembly. It's not just the backstory of what happened in times gone by, but the backstories of why things are now. I read that story recently about the possum skin cloak. You put it up on your Facebook feed. Perhaps can I ask you to share that with listeners? Because not everyone is aware of Indigenous customs. Yes, in times gone by with an Aboriginal baby, when an Aboriginal baby was born, it would be swaddled with a possum skin wrap. And as the child would grow, possum skins were added to that wrap to make it a cloak. Inside the cloak, pictures of culture and country, so stories, would be incised into the skin of the cloak and painted in ochre. Everyone in the family group would have their very own specific individual possum skin cloak. And it was their unique journey through life because it told their story through life. And then when they died, they'd be buried in their possum skin cloak. So that's why we don't see them because they don't exist. However, at the Legislative Assembly last year, one was installed on show and it was made by 16 Ngunnawal women led by Matilda House, an elder. It just highlights this beautiful skill that many people wouldn't know about 
And you've got to ask, well, where did you get the possums? Because mm. they're protected. Mm. Well, they're not protected in New Zealand. No, they're a pest there, they're aren't they? They're a pest in New Zealand. The possums were obtained in New Zealand. The skins were obtained in New Zealand so that they could be sewn together. Traditionally, they're sewn together with kangaroo sinew. I don't think it's kangaroo sinew on these ones, but it's just a really beautiful part of Aboriginal culture, which I'm really fascinated with. And I know a lot of love went into creating that possum skin cloak. And there's also one at Canberra Museum and Gallery as well. Mm, I think I've seen the one at Canberra Museum and Gallery. And I wondered why I'd never known about this tradition growing up. Yes, well, it's yet one of those things with Aboriginal culture. There's, it's such a rich culture, but unless we are told about it, we don't learn enough about it in schools. There's so much to see and do and learn about Aboriginal culture, and that's also something that I try to share on my Canberra Secrets tours as well, because the Canberra story starts with Aboriginal culture, because this was a, a very important area, a meeting place for the various clans as they would go up to the mountains for the Bogong Moth Festival. They'd also go to the Tidbinbilla Ranges for initiation of young men. There's so many very important sites around the Canberra area. Different Aboriginal groups would come to Canberra, not just one group, but a, a range of... Yeah, the area had four different Aboriginal groups in north, south, east and west, and they would come through this area so it was an important meeting place so it's really it's really symbolic isn't it that the word Canberra is thought to be derived from an Aboriginal word which means meeting place and yet our parliamentarians come here for their meeting place. Mm, that is very significant. I've almost got goosebumps actually thinking about that and I know I've heard that story about the name of Canberra many times, but I hadn't realised how significant it was from an Aboriginal perspective. I thought it was just one tribe rather than many. It's a, a really beautiful story. I'm going to ask the obvious and perhaps the vulnerable, and that's about travel because you're clearly in the travel industry and this year has been very hard on the travel industry, not just in Canberra, not just in Australia, but internationally. How is the tourism industry tracking right now? How do you see the future? Oh, well, it's going to be a very different industry. It's going to take time to come back. We're going to lose a lot of smaller operators who really can't sustain the extended loss of income. It's a really tough time. I certainly sit on a couple of committees that highlight the same story throughout the country. For example, well, there are opportunities that come from all of this. Domestic travel is expected mm -hmm. to really increase because people want to get out. They want to see and explore and do things. And then travel with New Zealand, that's the first step for international travel. Yeah, it's a wait and see as to when other international travel starts. I was only thinking yesterday how nice it would be to go and visit Taiwan again. <laughs> Yes, it's a, very, it's a very difficult time for everybody. There's a lot of camaraderie. A lot of people are doing the best they can to be positive and to be creative. And there's a lot of innovation that's coming about. People doing really nice video content on their websites and virtual tours and all sorts of things that we wouldn't have thought about three months ago. Mm. It's definitely a watch this space. Here in Canberra, 
we've got the attraction starting to open with timed openings. You know, we're hoping that people will come and learn what's here in our own backyard. Mm-hmm. So there's so much to see and do and explore with our beautiful parks and reserve, the galleries, the gallery spaces that are outside. There's so much. Mm, I'm always amazed at how family-friendly in particular Canberra is. Back in 2014, I was one of the 101 local humans as part of Visit Canberra's human brochure campaign. And that opportunity to learn more about the city I lived in, to have a staycation, I guess, in a sense, was really significant. And my sister and my brother-in-law and my nephew came down from the Gold Coast as part of that program. We were in Questacon in Mini Q. The three cousins were playing together very nicely. They were actually. They were really having a ball. And my sister turned to me and she said, this is amazing. We have nothing like this on the Gold Coast. And I went, are you kidding? (laughs) Because so many Canberrans dream of going to the Gold Coast for a holiday, like it's a big thing, going to the theme parks. But then I stopped and I thought about it. I went, well, yes, there are those big, big, big attractions, a lot of big commercial things. But Canberra is really unique because we have so many of these national institutions that you can sort of have in bite-sized pieces as well. And they're not necessarily expensive either. Absolutely. And I mean, on the Gold Coast, nothing, I mean, there was a time where I really wanted to go to those big theme parks. I I couldn't think of anything worse at the moment. Canberra has fabulous opportunities to do things with the family. We've got fabulous parks and reserves. We've got wildlife. You can see kangaroos, minutes from the CBD. Mm. We've got the wonderful Tidbin Billa Nature Reserve. We've got fabulous parks and playgrounds what about the playground at the national arboretum it's oh, that's fabulous lovely. and boundless the playground near commonwealth park in king's park that's a really wonderful all abilities playground cycleways we've got so much to offer that is not expensive doesn't cost you can mm. get out and enjoy the beautiful weather and I know people say oh you know it's cold in Canberra yeah winter's cold beautiful blue sunny days most most days crisp beautiful mornings perfect for getting out and about Mm, exactly and not not too well I was going to say not too hot but in summer it does get hot I think places like the National Museum my children love the case space there where they can sort of go back in time and build a robot team my seven-year-old he's a real wizard at we can't beat him no one's been able to beat him on that yet the national attractions all have great facilities for kids and it's a really really wonderful introduction for kids into those facilities because it's hoped that they continue on as they get older yeah so much fun For families in Canberra thinking perhaps about a staycation now that we can get out a little bit more but travel regionally is a little bit more difficult, what sort of things would you recommend for a Canberra staycation? Oh, there's so much. I have to tell you my favourite place. It's really important to do this at either sunrise or sunset. It's at the National Gallery of Australia and it's Sky Space. Mm. Sky Space is a sculpture by James Terrell, an American sculptor who works on the concept of light and light intensity. 
you go into SkySpace and in normal situations, in normal times, it's open 24 hours a day. So you just have to check to see where we're up to with that one. You go in just before sunrise or just before sunset. I must admit, I haven't done the sunrise. I've done the set <laughs> sunset many times. But you go in and sit down and look up. You're sitting in a basalt dome with a hole in the top, which is viewing directly to the sky. And as the sun is setting, you watch the colours. Now, across the sky, the colours are not like you would be if you you would see as you would be at um, Mount Ainsley and you're watching oranges and pinks or whatever. You look through this hole and you look at the blue sky and it gets a deeper blue and a deeper blue and a deeper blue and a deeper blue until it becomes pitch black. And as you're looking around the hole that you're looking through, for want of better description, colours emerge. There's pinks and oranges and perhaps blues. And if you take photos over a period of half an hour, the changes in the colours and the changes in the colour of the sky is really dramatic. The big thing is it works, as I said, on light and light intensity. Your eye is interpreting what it sees with the limited information it has available to it, so it's a hole into the sky. It's interpreting in a far more intense way. You go out of sky space and the colour of the sky is nowhere near as intense as what you've been looking at. It's the same sky. Same sky, completely different. That would be my favourite place to visit. And in normal times, the National Gallery has the times of sunrise and sunset on its website. And so you can check and you make sure you're there about 10, 15, 20 minutes before. And every afternoon that I've been there when the sun is setting, and I've done it several times, there are many people who go, but they sit and watch the sun set. And it's just a fabulous thing to do. So I would really recommend that one. That's amazing. And when you think about it, it's such a miracle, isn't it? The sun rises every morning, the sun sets every day. And so often we don't take the time to really appreciate that or to yep. really rejoice in yep. that, that miracle. And for so long in Canberra during the bushfires, we couldn't see the sky. No, we couldn't. In so many places in the world, you can't see the blue sky. It is just such a blessing to be able to have that here in Canberra. We are so lucky. It certainly is a blessing. And certainly in these troubled times, you know that tomorrow the sun will come up. Exactly. And yeah. the sun will go down and then it'll come up again. And we were talking before on the deep and meaningful things but before we came on this podcast about abundance too because I know this is something that I'm struggling with a little bit. I know I talk about abundance mindset and I preach all these things but having gone from a full-time career where I had a regular income and a regular big fat paycheck, well, it's not necessarily a check anymore, went into my bank account every fortnight like clockwork now that I'm my own boss, it's very different. I don't have that same kind of monetary reward that's coming in. And it is so easy to see things around me, success as being, as is being measured in terms of dollar terms. Yet abundance is more than that, isn't it? Oh, totally. 
I struggle with the concept of abundance being related to money. Abundance is far more just being at peace with yourself, with where you're at, with what you're doing, really being abundant in the fact that you've got a healthy, beautiful family or you've got a lovely place with a roof over your head that you make comfortable and you put up your favourite paintings and you you cook your favourite food. We are so fortunate to be able to have those sorts of things. That's abundance to me. And, you know, the love of my kids, that's so, so special. I have a daughter today. It's her birthday today. And it was just so nice. I actually sang her happy birthday in Dutch this morning. And she said, oh, that's so nice. We should do this in Dutch every time now because my family are Dutch. Yes, so abundance is far more than the monetary. I think, yeah, the monetary stuff is really important, but we shouldn't lose focus of the really important things and those that that you love that are near and dear to you because once they've gone, they've gone and it's really important that you've made the effort to spend time with them and to enjoy them. It's about relationships too. I think so. Relationships is so important. I was so hopeful that during this horrendous year we've had that it would have been an opportunity for many people to pause and reflect about the values and what's important and to move away from a consumeristic culture of buying things equals happiness to looking at things more broadly. I'm not sure that we've made that switch. I think some people have. I don't think everyone has. (laughs) Yeah, it's a very interesting concept, isn't it? Because Certainly we couldn't go to the shops, but then the online started and wasn't it interesting how people were buying fitness equipment? Mm. Now I wonder how much fitness equipment is sitting languishing in garages now. Is it being used? Who knows? It's an interesting conundrum, isn't it? It is. It is indeed. I mean, you all want health and well-being, but it's... I wouldn't say it's harder to get them buying. In a way, it's actually easier to get them buying. It's just about looking at things in different ways. Mm. One thing I did was get an online piano course. I started off going very quickly, but then it started getting harder and harder. Gee, it's nice to sit down at the piano again. It's something that I haven't done for a long time. Yeah, I've really enjoyed that. Oh, that sounds lovely. We got stuck into jigsaws. We're currently on, I think, our seventh. I'm looking at Neil. Yeah, so this current one looks really hard. Yes, so we, I'm not sure that we will continue with this. Well, we might continue with this current one. It's 1,500 pieces, but it's hard. It's really hard. Mm-hmm. Mark, I was wondering if you had a frugalista tip to share. I've got a couple of things I'd like to say. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. One is take stock of what you're doing. Once a year, look at all your outgoings. Look at your utilities. Look at your mortgage. Look at all those apps that you bought during COVID. Check what it is that you don't need anymore. So offload some of those apps where you're you're paying a yearly subscription. Mm -hmm. Go to the bank and talk to them about your interest rate. Talk to your mortgage broker and say, what can you do for me? I want something better. And nine times out of 10, you can change it. There's something better. Go to your phone supplier and talk to them about what deal you're on. Nine times out of ten, you can get a better deal. In fact, there's some really great online resources now to compare. Yes. Uh, that you can compare different plans and some of the providers, there's people I've never heard of, they're basically using the same infrastructure. Yes. And then also go to your electricity and gas supplier. 
Now, you got me onto this one <laughs> because a couple of years ago, I didn't believe you. Oh, actually, it's not that I didn't believe you. I'd never thought that you could actually negotiate. And now this is fairly common knowledge. But I just assumed that we had one utility company. And of course, I'd be on the best deal because why wouldn't you be on the best deal? Isn't electricity electricity? Yeah, but things change. Things have changed. Things change. So do that every year. It's amazing how much you'll save. Another thing, have a saving plan. Really important. I used to work with a woman who would always bemoan, oh, you know, every, every pay the money goes out and I have nothing left. And I used to shake my head thinking, if you put away $100 a pay or $200 a pay or have it deducted, then you don't miss it and you put it away in an account where you just don't touch it. And I was only thinking about her the other day and I thought, okay, in four years since I've last left my public service job, to put away $200 a week, you'd have $22,000 in your account. <clears throat> if it was $100, you'd have $11,000. It's still fabulous saving. Really, really important to have a saving plan. And then there's another funny one I thought about recently. What is it about six weeks and haircuts? <laughs> Why do we have to get our hair cut every six weeks? Getting your hair cut and having colour every six weeks, is that necessary? I did a calculation. If I had my hair cut and foils every six weeks or every eight weeks or every 10 weeks or every 12 weeks, and during COVID, I managed to stretch it out to 12 weeks. I don't know that I'd necessarily do that. But it was incredible how much saving over a year you'd make by not doing it every six weeks. I must admit I've never done it every six weeks and I feel so guilty every time I go back to the hairdressers because I'll sort of look at me and go, your hair's gotten a bit long. <laughs> but that's okay. Everyone's different and everyone's hair grows at a different rate anyway. Think about it. Maybe stretch it out. Save some money. Well, I cut Neil's hair a couple of months ago for the first time. Yeah, Neil's looking at me because he actually doesn't have much hair, but that's <laughs> so it was fairly easy. But even so, I was fairly scared about it. He had a particular issue where he has a little bit of hair left at the front. I'm not sure whether this is going to get edited out or not. He, he's the editor, so it'll depend. He felt that the hairdressers were very concerned that he had a lot of ego attached to this and that he wanted to comb it over. And so he was always complaining that it was left too long. And so with me doing it, it was much easier because he's like just really just short, just really. Um, he's, he's not sensitive about his hair at all. He just wanted it to look neat. Therefore, I did it myself and it saved a lot of money. And then Neil's mum was watching me do it. She was giving me lots of advice, actually. She was quite <laughs> good at it. Then she got stuck into doing her husband's hair too. So my father-in-law had a haircut too at the same time. And she's like, oh, this is good. We had clippers all along and I never thought to actually use them and he hates going to the hairdresser and this is great because I could do it myself. Fabulous. Fabulous. But that said, I do go to a hairdresser because I like my hair being done and I like it being pampered. Mark, how can people contact you? How can we find you? You can go through my website, canberrasecrets.com.au or you can email me at hello at canberrasecrets.com.au. Hello, I like that. Mark, thank you so very much for being a guest today. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. It is really honestly my pleasure. And to follow conversations about this and other topics, please join the Joyful Frugalista Facebook group. And please make sure that you subscribe and like this podcast to get future podcasts. Thank you. 
You've been listening to the joyful Frugalista with Serena Bird. She actually likes everybody. And of course, sound has been by Neil Hadley. And myself, I'm Joseph McGrail Baitup. You've got an accentuate the positive Eliminate the negative Latch on to the affirmative Don't mess with Mr. In-Between